Local governments can only pass, debate and pass, on issues that the state government allows them. They have zoning authority. They have other kinds of authority. That's it. You can't pass that. That violates the state's preemption laws over local communities. The, the farmer said, we don't care. We're patriotic citizens. We're overwhelmingly opposed. Write us the law. They wrote the anti-corporate farming ordinance. You'll see it on CELDIF's website. It was passed a decade ago. It was very simple. It banned all non-family-owned corporations from engaging in farming or owning farmland. And they defined legally family-owned corporations very strictly. So a privately held multinational didn't qualify. It passed. The company that was about to place a 15,000 head Hong Farm factory in Wells Township changed its mind and was gone. After three years of battle. Townships next to it, other conservative Republican farm communities, huh, that's interesting. They started passing. <coughs> Fast forward a couple years later, four communities in the state of Maine were battling Nestle Corporation that was trying to put in Poland Springs water bottling plants. It's one of their labels. Two of the communities decided the regulatory thing they were on, the course, was good enough. Two of them were paying attention to Pennsylvania farmers. They asked Seldiff to write them an ordinance that banned corporate water withdrawal in their towns. They passed it overwhelmingly. The two regulatory arena towns got Poland Springs bottling plants. The two that went this route stopped the plants. One of the plants, they'd already built the, the, the bottling facility. They'd already put in the wells. They had millions of dollars invested. They pulled out. It's fascinating. Fast forward another couple years, more and more communities are passing laws that ban uh, urban sewage sludge dumping on rural farmland. They call it biosolids. Sometimes they even call it organic biosolids. It's toxic sludge. That's what it really is. It's everything mixed together that goes down the sewer and the toilet in a city. Everything. It's toxic. They banned it. In Pittsburgh, two and a half years ago, the city council, by a nine to zero vote, was the first major city in this movement. They passed unanimously a bill that bans corporations from engaging in fracking in the city. And by now, the movement had grown and, and matured in such a way that the ordinances were starting to come, become something much more interesting. They were moving away from just what are we trying to stop to what do we want? It was a profound shift. Now, when we, when, we, when we treat ourselves as powerless, we're always in defensive mode, right? Most of our activism is trying to stop this, stop this. It's one emergency response after another. We scale up massive, exhausting activities. We win or lose. We collapse. We wait for the next emergency. That tends to be our activism at the local level. The bigger question, once you understand that you are the sovereign people, is what do you want? Not what can you get, what do you want? That's a big deal. When we see ourselves as powerless, we don't even ask ourselves that question. We might with our close friends in our kitchen, but we certainly don't come into public space and have that conversation. right? With people we don't know or distrust or they're very different than us politically or whatever. So huge culture shift was happening. Pittsburgh passed a community bill of rights 
guaranteeing all residents of Pittsburgh the right to water, guaranteeing that same right to local nature. That the creeks and the rivers and the ponds and the lakes within the city of Pittsburgh had the right to water. Interesting. And it passed, 9 to 0 by the Pittsburgh City Council. Pittsburgh was on the verge of 200 uh, fracking wells being put in. They were, it was, for them, it was urgent. Now, up until that point, fracking is already obviously a really big issue on the, in New England, and it's actually in 30 states. I don't know if you realize how widespread it is. 30 states, there's fracking already going on. <clears throat> um, but they're all trying to regulate fracking. And in fact, that's the Sierra Club's position to this day. Sierra Club has all sorts of fracking campaigns, but they t- they've been tending so far to oppose Seldiff's bans on corporate fracking. They think it goes too far. They think it's too extreme. They think it should be regulated. They think it should be based, there should be fees involved that go back to damage control within the city. That's the Sierra Club position on fracking so far. It turned out that Sierra Club got $26 million from natural gas corporations, which they denied for more than a year and finally admitted. Yeah. Right? Again, that interesting relationship that corporations historically were not allowed to give money to nonprofits civic and charitable organizations. There's a clear, clear you know, reason why. So um, the, Amer- the, the Pennsylvania Natural Gas Association sent a very threatening letter one week before the Pittsburgh City Council vote saying, we will sue you within the week if you vote yes. They held firm, which is not common for a city council. They usually buckle at that point because they're afraid of massive lawsuits that will, that will um, bankrupt their community. They held firm. They voted 9-0. to zero. There was never a lawsuit. And that's actually usually all it takes, right? The threat of a lawsuit from a giant corporation is usually enough for a city or a town to back down with their plans, whether there was ever an intention of a lawsuit or not. Just the letter threatening a lawsuit is usually all it takes. So the movement has been shifting from what to stop towards what do we want. It's been shifting towards seeing things as creating a new local bill of rights. That's the new language in the movement. A local enforceable bill of rights for a community. Yes, we're trying to stop this harmful activity, but we're trying to stop it as a subordinate function of our right to. So the Pittsburgh ordinance said we have the right to water, and therefore we have to stop all fracking because fracking clearly will harm our local water supply. We have an inherent right to water as the sovereign people based on this language in our state constitution, based on the preamble of the U.S. Constitution, based on the language of the Declaration of Independence, etc. We have inherent right. We're now up to 150 cities in our communities, all of them smaller communities except for Pittsburgh. I always forget the full list, so I write it down. There are now ordinances passed in Pennsylvania, Maine, New Hampshire, New York, Massachusetts, Maryland, New Mexico just a few months ago, first town, Ohio just a few weeks ago, first town, Yellow Springs, Ohio, passed a ban on fracking. Um, Oregon and Washington are getting active. Nothing has passed yet. In Spokane, Washington, 
five, uh, three years ago. Envision Spokane is the name of the group. Check it out online, envisionspokane.org. A coalition of 24 organizations that came together, neighborhood associations, environmental groups, religious groups, and labor groups, 24 total groups, came together and spent a year and a half intensively creating an 11-point community bill of rights where each one of those four sectors each wrote a handful of pieces of the Bill of Rights. They ran it three years ago as a ballot initiative in Spokane. They got 25% of the vote. They were outspent something like 10 to 1. Every politician hid or opposed, everyone. There was almost no institutional support in the community at all. You could say, wow, that was a defeat. We get to decide what a defeat is. They said, wow, we were outspent 10 to 1. Nobody's ever done anything like this in the United States. And we got 13,000 votes. That's pretty cool. Let's try it again. <laughs> so last November 2011, they scaled it down to a four-point community bill of rights. I'll tell you what it is. It's remarkable. And they, got, they figured they'd get 30 to 40% of the vote, and they'd have to run it a couple more times. They got 49.7%. In fact, for much of the evening that they were watching the results on TV, they were ahead by a few hundred votes. And then they slipped back by 500 plus in the, in the latter hours of the count. They were stunned. Four-point community bill of rights this is the other model of the movement is developing, first in Spokane. One, neighborhoods shall have right by majority vote in the neighborhood to say no to industrial and commercial developments they don't want in their neighborhoods. Two, working people shall have protected Bill of Rights within the workplace. Now, how many people know that when you walk into your workplace every morning, you shelve your Bill of Rights? You shelve them. You don't have free speech, property protections, search and seizure protections, etc., etc. The reason you don't is that if you read the ten, the ten Amendments, the first Ten Amendments, which are the Bill of Rights, they don't say anything about corporate institutions violating your rights. It's government shall not interfere. That's what they say. So when corporations stop you from having free speech at the workplace, that's actually not a violation of your First Amendment rights. It's not addressed in the First Amendment. For the first time in U.S. history in Spokane, if this passes, workers shall have First Amendment and other Bill of Rights protections while at work. It's very interesting. It's a big deal for working people. Three, Spokane River and Spokane Aquifer shall have recognized rights of nature to thrive and evolve. Four, any corporate constitutional rights which interfere in the in the, uh, in, the in the use of these other three new rights will, shall be nullified. <laughs> so if you, once you pass this thing, if a corporate right gets in the way of implementing a right of people and nature, the corporate right is nullified because it's interfering in our or nature's rights. They're running it again November 2013. They fully expect to win. Who knows? Next November. In Spokane, that's the other model, a community bill of rights. Easton, Pennsylvania, just started collecting signatures for a nine-point bill of rights. That is really remarkable. 
you'll find their ordinance on the CELDIF website too. So this is the movement. In Oregon, we've just launched a few days ago the Benton County Food Bill of Rights. Benton County is Corvallis, Philomath, and to the coast. It's a bizarre, long, narrow, I don't know if you know, the Willamette Valley in central Oregon, west of the Cascades. Nine bizarrely shaped counties, just like the one you're in, right, that cross a, a, a coastal range of mountains. Nine counties in the Willamette Valley. Talk about dysfunctional government boundaries, right? Benton County, I led a workshop at the beginning of this year for farmers to introduce to them a food bill of rights that Seldiff had just drafted for another community that didn't end up get using it. It's already written, what do you think? 45 farmers showed up at the food co-op in Corvallis this winter to my workshop. Just a, an intro workshop like this. I handed out the, ben, the, the, the food bill of rights that Seldiff had already drafted for another community. People were excited and stunned. Six farmers from Benton County came out of the workshop, literally went straight to a bar and started organizing. <laughs> I mean, I kid you not. And a few weeks later, they invited me back to the Grange in Philomath to lead the same workshop again, and they packed it with new people. And last week, they filed the Benton County Community Food Bill of Rights, and they founded the Benton County Coalition for Community Rights. Their website will be up within the week. There's already lots of stuff online if you put that into Google, but they don't have their website will be up this week. If the county elections officer doesn't try to stop it, and they might, from getting on the ballot, they'll be collecting signatures for it starting within the next week or so. They plan to put it on the May 2013 ballot for public vote. Almost all of the 150 in these states, 150 communities, these things have passed through the town or township or city council. Only a handful have gone through the popular vote. And most of the ones that have gone through the town or township council have been conservative Republican rural communities. Interestingly, liberal liberals, radicals, greens, etc., the folks that I tend to hang out with, I'm guessing that's who's here tonight, <laughs> far behind, not yet paying attention, not yet organizing, not yet mobilizing. I think part of the problem is that the left tends to think that the federal government will save us from scary people at the local level. I'm being blunt. <laughs> But I think, that's, I, mean, I think that's one of the reasons that, that, that progressives are not mobilizing yet. And that's a larger conversation we can have, too, if you want, as to what that's about. Um, so Oregon, the, the Benton County Food Bill of Rights bans all GMO agriculture planting, strips GMO agricultural seed companies, producers, blah, 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 um, of all of their constitutional rights gives the people of the county direct enforcement authority to challenge anyone who's growing GMO products in their, in their, on their own land within six months of the passage of the initiative, May 2013. It's very interesting. Now, these are not normal laws, right? This is a whole new paradigm of law. Uh, Thomas Lindsay, who's the director of CELDIF, calls them municipal acts of collective civil disobedience. <laughs> okay, this is a big deal. These violate the law. 
right? I, I don't want to under, under I don't want to make you think these are easy to pass. Although 150 very brave town councils have, right? They're increasingly going to be challenged. Interestingly enough, only five of 150 have been challenged in the whole last decade. And we're starting to get the, the speed in which they're being passed is, is increasing. And all I'm describing to you is the first phase of this movement. The first phase is getting as many communities as pass the, to pass these as possible as quickly as possible so that it's harder and harder to stop because obviously there are powers that would like to stop this. The second phase is that even when we pass them, and Pennsylvania is the prime example, 100 of 150 come from Pennsylvania. 100 towns in Pennsylvania and one big city, Pittsburgh, have already passed these. They're initiating phase two of the community rights campaign, which is the state corporate codes and the state constitution of Pennsylvania privilege corporate rights over our rights. So all that has to happen these days is the ag corporations in Pennsylvania, and this, is, and this happened, go to the, ag, to the legislature and attorney general in Pennsylvania, and they demand that these municipal governments be stopped. And given what the state of our state and federal government is these days, that's what this, they're like, okay, those are our marching orders. And the state legislature immediately files a law whose acronym is ACRE, A-C-R-E. It's kind of a, an Orwellian acronym. Um, and basically it makes illegal local communities banning corporate agriculture. What's the And this happened quite a few years ago already, six years ago. What happened in response at the local level? Local governments, start, more local governments passed these laws. Because their, their argument is, we are the sovereign people, we have local self-governing authority, and you're not going to tell us we don't. Last year, after a whole bunch of communities passed these rights-based ordinances banning fracking locally, the Pennsylvania legislature under pressure that they're used to from fracking corporations, passed Act 13 that creates this Orwellian new process, creates this super regulatory new body that bans communities from banning fracking. What's the response? More communities banning fracking. Right? We are trying to create a crisis of jurisdiction. Now that's not actually that unusual. I don't know if you've heard that term, but it's what this movement is, is about. We are trying to push new rights into local law. And the abolitionists did that when they tried to ban slavery. And the suffragists did that when they tried to give personhood to, or, or voting to women. Right? That's what that was about. They're pushing new rights into law, into the Constitution. When this state and, and a bunch of other states passed medical marijuana laws in the last decades, they were creating a crisis of jurisdiction. This is not an unusual thing. Right? The federal government has always claimed sole jurisdiction over drug law. State voters legalize medical marijuana growing and smoking. All of a sudden, you now create a very different kind of crisis. You no longer have federal government attacking pot smokers. You have federal government attacking state government. And yes, they are closing occasional clinics. The federal government is still attacking individually. But look at the look how different the political struggle has become because we the people created a crisis of jurisdiction, right? We now have whether you agree with this or not, we now have millions 
of people legally smoking medical marijuana and growing it legally. So you can't argue that the federal government, which claims sole jurisdiction, is winning. Right? They still claim it's a very dangerous drug and nobody should be smoking it. Right? The people do these things all the time. This movement is taking it to the local level and challenging state jurisdiction, challenging state preemption laws. So these laws challenge, they are, they are direct frontal challenges to the legal structures that tell we the people that we can't govern ourselves. And one of the interesting things is we're such a propagandized people in gen generally across the political spectrum these days that the left and right see each other as the enemy, right? And divide and conquer is what that is. And it's amazing how many things the left and the right agree on in this country. So, for example, when Citizens United was passed by the Supreme Court just a couple of years ago that expanded even more a corporation's right to overwhelm a political campaign with their money, the polls show in the weeks that follow, national polls in the, in the mainstream media, you can find them online, how many people agreed with the Citizens United decision? Well, Republicans opposed it by 75%. You know, we're not talking what the, what the Republican senators think. This is the peop, Republican people. Three quarters of Republican voters did not agree with the Citizens United decision. 80% of independent voters didn't agree. 86% of Democrats didn't agree. So on even more corporate power, Generally, we're all already on the same side, at least on that issue, right? But we've been taught to believe that we're enemies, right? So what would it look like? And this movement is very non-ideological. So far, the bravest folks in the movement are, are conservative rural Republicans. We need to, you know, we need to catch up. How many people in the room are Republicans? Right? That's, that's, right? that's what I'm used to. How many people in the room are independents? Independence, not, I, let me say it a different way, because I'm agreeing. How many people are not Republican or Democrat voters in the room? Okay, so right, so you have some serious issues with both of these parties, and you're looking for something else, right? So I want to just say in closing, and thank you for bringing attention to me to the time. I'm sorry I got us down to 10 minutes of. This is complicated stuff. It will be in an email that everybody gets if you sign up. Okay? And also, if you sign up and give your email address, I will send you one email. You won't get endless emails that gives you a link to organizations, articles, videos online, audios, stuff that you can watch to start educating yourself about this more deeply. Because literally, I have just lit I've skimmed the surface so in such a shallow way. It's just enough time, a couple hours, to lay this out in a, in a basic, net, shallow overview so that you understand why a movement like this has come about and why it's so critical that we get out of single issue, single symptom-based organizing. And we start challenging the legal structures that do not allow us to have a democratic structure in our own communities. Okay, that's essential. So if you're serious about it, for example, in Portland, I founded a community rights group in January. We've been meeting every week and we're only now deciding what issue we're going to take on in an ordinance. Now, you're a much smaller place than Portland, so it might take you less time, but there's a very steep learning curve. There's a steep learning curve here because all of our activism is regulatory.
or oppositional. This is not that. This is us exercising our power collectively as the people by majority. It's a whole different paradigm of political work, right? It's a steep learning curve. So if you give me your email address, please take seriously the stuff I sent you, right? I'm going to send you a list of key readings, audios, videos, links. Take the list seriously and start educating yourself. Get study groups going, start looking at CELDIF ordinances, and you're off. And I will come back. I lead two-day workshops. Democracy, democracy schools are led by CELDIF. I can keep, I, my, this is my full-time work. And by the way, if you'd like to make additional donations to the pot on your way out, that'd be great for me. This is my full-time work. And to get a kitty going for the group. Um, I'm in Portland, and I can come here at your, at your request. This is what I do full-time. Yeah. Yes? Uh, briefly, you had just mentioned about this uh, crisis of jurisdiction, but you didn't tell us what that crash looked like. Crash. Because you, you Cra- what cra- crash? Crash. Because you're saying some of these corporations are coming at the regulatory bodies that have created these new laws. What's the result of that crash? Has it happened? Have they gone back and made the cities or the towns and the communities change their laws? Or do those laws still exist? I'm not sure. I don't remember using the word crash. But if you're talking about corporate attacks, corporate attacks on the laws, five corporate attacks so far through the legal process, Mm -hmm. two townships rescinded their ordinances, two townships... Uh, are in are in court four years later, not moving forward. The corporation is not moving the case forward. Final Township had an anti-sludge on on farmland ordinance. This community is so committed to this issue, both the electeds and the and the hundreds of people in the township. This is Pennsylvania again. That when they were sued by the state, and 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 the corporations in the, in Pennsylvania. They immediately rescinded their ordinance. They had one of the earliest ordinances. They rescinded the ordinance, which means the lawsuit is now null and void. And they passed a much bigger, bolder ordinance that includes a lot more of the the more mature stuff that I I have barely even scratched the surface of. These ordinances are designed to force a corporate or a state legal challenge that we want, right? How often do we, do we pass laws without thinking about how to force a certain kind of legal attack, knowing that we're going to be sued, right? These legal attacks are very challenging for corporations in the state. They have to argue that corporations have more rights than the people in the town. They have to argue that as a first layer of assault on the laws. They don't want to argue that. Right? They know it's true, but it's the, it's the general mythology of the culture that it isn't. And they have to argue that the people do not have the, author, have, the, have the right to govern themselves, which is in direct contradiction to the state constitutional language. That's where they have to start the lawsuit. They're not about fracking, water, etc. They're about rights. These are rights-based ordinances. Anybody who hasn't asked a question at all? 
I was wondering if you could say anything about what Humboldt County did with, was it Measure H with the remote control? Measure, measure, T, T, measure T, Democracy Unlimited yeah. launched a campaign after I had moved on um, that, that uh, bans non-local corporations from funding county-based elections. Um, it was not written in a smart way. Um, it was challenged almost immediately. The board of, it was voted on in, and approved by the voters. The county board of supervisors then went into closed session, which they do when they're being sued, and they took it off the books. So a year of organizing and a legal vote, 55-ish percent said yes, gone. The law was gone. There's no law in place. There's lots of very creative arguments, but try to get a court to take you seriously, yeah. right? We're starting locally because that's where our biggest power is. Right? At the local level, we can out-organize. We, we may not out-fund corporate challenges, but we can out-organize a legal fiction at the local level still. But again, we're, this is a reframed, these are reframings of what the problem is. Right? The problem is not that corporations are clear-cutting or poisoning or giving us lousy health care or blah, blah, blah. The problem is that we, the people, are allowing them to have authority to do these things. And so it's our responsibility as the people to stop allowing them.